Well, we hope you've enjoyed our Hogmanay special. And now back to business as usual with the first news recording of 2024 and the Enfield Talking newspaper. Hello, this is Catherine welcoming you to the 2370th edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper, dateline January the 4th, 2024. The readers this week are Roz, Denise, Angela, Catherine, with Dem on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by our team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer, and is performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch, and are their copyright. For the week beginning January the 8th, that's next Monday, the sunrise time is 08.04 and the sunset time is 16.09. There are no special notices this week. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on... 07899-854-582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Roz will read the lead story. Thank you, Catherine. It's starting with the very tragic story of the family of teenager killed in New Year's Eve stabbing. The family of a teenage boy stabbed to death just before midnight on New Year's Eve have said they're absolutely devastated by his death. Harry Pittman, aged 16, was attacked as he waited with friends to watch the central London New Year's Eve fireworks from Primrose Hill. Speaking to the Mail Online outside his family home in Tottenham, Harry's 19-year-old sister Taylor said, It doesn't seem real. I keep on expecting him to come through the door. His dinner is still in the oven. My mother just can't bring herself to, to take it out. I'm devastated. He was my baby brother. He didn't even get to see the fireworks, which is why he went to Primrose Hill in the first place. Taylor added that her brother was so mischievous and cheeky, but he didn't have a bad bone in his body. Harry's older brother, Patrick, 18, said that told the male that his brother a huge Tottenham Hotspur fan, had gone to Primrose Hill with seven of his friends. He said, we're all distraught, we just cannot believe this. Police were called to Primrose Hill at around 11.40 on Sunday, December the 31st, as crowds gathered for the New Year's Eve countdown. Investigating Officer Detective Chief Inspector Jeff Grosko said Harry had become involved in an altercation and was found with stab injuries. A 16-year-old boy has since been arrested in suspicion of Harry's murder. Neighbourhood group Primrose Hill Watch has estimated that 20,000 to 50,000 people were attending the firework display from the park. Throughout Monday, police and forensic investigators were seen around the, the area with a cross block, uh, uh, access blocked off to the park. One woman who was, was at Primrose Hill on the night of the stabbing says she had only realised somebody had been stabbed the next morning. She said it seemed very orderly and an overall joyous vibe, which is why I was quite shocked to hear of the stabbing. Really horrible that such a young life was lost at the beginning of the year. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 0208 785 8099. And to remain anonymous, you can contact independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 one. And now we have a sad story regarding animal cruelty. A man has been banned from keeping pets for 10 years after he was filmed apparently slamming a dog onto a balcony floor. J. Mayor Carty of Hedge Lane, Palmer's Green, was found guilty at Wilsdon Magistrates Court in December of causing unnecessary suffering to a French bulldog, Kobe. The RSPCA was called in after a man was filmed appearing to slam a dog down onto a balcony floor at Waldgrave Point in Green Street, Park Royal, three times 
and possibly stamping on the dog on August the 6th, 2022. When our SPCA inspector Francesca Tambini arrived at the address later that day, Kobe was present. Kobe belonged to Mayor Carty's then girlfriend, but he was looking after him while she was away for a few days. Kobe appeared to have very red eyes, which Mayor Carty claimed was due to heat stroke. Suspecting animal cruelty, Inspector Tambini attended with police the next day to take the dog to the vet. When the inspector and the police arrived, the dog's owner had since returned and said Kobe was being treated for skin allergies. The vet confirmed that the hemorrhaging and swelling of Kobe's eyes were not consistent with heat stroke or allergies and that he was fearful and head shy when being examined. The vet suspected injuries caused by blunt force trauma and concluded that he had suffered for a number of days. An expert vet confirmed the severity of the injuries was not consistent with an allergy, heat stroke or the dog running into another dog or hard object. He added, In my opinion, Kobe was caused to suffer due to the person responsible for the welfare of this animal failing to seek prompt veterinary advice regarding the eye condition. He added that Kobe would have been suffering for 20 hours or more. The RSPCA said Mayor Carter did not accept slamming the dog into the balcony three times but accepted that he was found guilty of this. He was also sentenced to a 12-month community order including 150 hours unpaid work and a 15-day rehabilitation activity requirement. The couple have since split up and Kobe has fully recovered and is back with his owner. Harp supports young people and families. A new centre has opened in Ponder's End. A new Enfield Council Youth and Family Hub offering a wide range of support for children, young people and their carers has officially opened in Ponder's End. The hub offers support to families from pregnancy up, to their, up until the age of 18 for their children or 25 for young people with special educational needs and disabilities. The hub was declared open by Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Children's Services, Councillor Abdul Abdullahi, at an open day last month. Enfield's Youth and Family Hubs bring together lots of different services for children and families, making it easier for them to get the help they need at the right time. Volunteers, parents and carers from the local community, families already using the hub, partners delivering activities and counsellors were invited to celebrate the opening and get a taste of the opportunities and support available. Guests took part in activities including boxing demonstrations, crafting and fun activities like face painting. Councillor Abdullahi said, The opening of the new Youth and Family Hub marks a one-year transformation journey led by Enfield Council and supported by many partners and services. In Enfield, we have gone the extra mile redesigning service delivery to integrate the Family Hub within Ponders End Youth Centre, creating a warm, welcoming and accessible space for children, young people and families, providing a fantastic range of services and support to help them thrive. Our doors are open, providing support for any family, child or young person living in Enfield who needs it. I hope that as many people as possible will sign up for the activities on offer and utilise the services, help and support that is available. The Council is investing in supporting Enfield families and delivering on its promises for its local communities. The launch of the Youth and Family Hub is one of the commitments set out in the Council Plan for 2023 to 2026. The new Youth and Family Hub is located at 129 South Street, EN3 4PX and has been supported by grant funding from the Government Department for Education. For further information, including an up-to-date activity schedule for Ponders End Youth and Family Hub, 
visit www.enfield.gov.uk forward slash services forward slash children and education forward slash youth and family hubs. Council plans for nearly 10,000 green belt homes. The leader of Enfield Council has said the borough will become a deeply green place as she welcomed plans to allow nearly 10,000 homes to be built on the green belt. Last month, the council published a long-awaited update to its local draft plan, which proved highly controversial two years ago when it included proposals to de-designate green belt areas currently protected from development and allow 6,430 homes to be built on them. In the new version of the plan, drawn up after more than 7,000 consultation responses were submitted in 2021 to the Council's original draft, the Council confirmed it wants to allow an even greater number of homes to be built on the green belt by developers, a total of 9,651. Of this number, 7,151 would be built within the plan period up to 2041, while another 2,500 homes would be built later. The two biggest areas of green belt development are proposed to be at Cruz Hill, where the plan states 3,700 could be built in total, and at Vicarage Farm, dubbed Chase Park, where 5,500 are allocated. The plan again allocates 160 homes to green belt land at Hadley Wood, despite a new neighbourhood plan for the area being agreed in November, which set out local opposition to green belt de-designation. Meanwhile, at the Meridian Water Development Zone in the east of the borough, the new local plan allocates 7,722 homes to various sites, including 1,500 homes at the former IKEA site, which, while stating that the long-term goal is to build 10,000 in total. The first new residents at Meridian Water moved in four months ago. In total, then, across the whole borough, the number of homes planned is being increased from the 25,000 included in the 2021 version of the local plan to 34,000 in the version published in, on the 6th of December. Although it's not known exactly how many respondents to the previous local plan draft opposed construction on the Green Belt, the move proved highly controversial and has been widely criticised. Conservative group leader Alessandro Giorgio told the dispatch, After a record number of objections to this council on its draft local plan, they've decided to plough on with destroying our green belt. Residents have rejected this plan, independent groups have rejected this plan, environmental groups have rejected this plan, and even their own mate, the Mayor of London, is against the plan. Quite frankly, local democracy is dead in Enfield. The Labour administration disputes Councillor Georgiou's claims, however. Announcing the launch of the new local plan, Councillor Chaliscan said, We are proud of this draft local plan, which will support the delivery of more and better homes for residents in the right areas of the borough. It will make Enfield a deeply green place by enhancing parks, woodland, open spaces and biodiversity. We will plan for new schools, GP surgeries and places of leisure and recreation for all residents and we will help the local economy to flourish. A six-week public consultation will begin again after the 6th of March if councillors approve the new local plan. An independent inspector must then examine it before it can be adopted by the council. Residents can view the new draft local plan via the Enfield Council website. This is a long one, so bear with me. Visit enfield.gov.uk and then we go to the exact area to find this draft plan forward slash services, forward slash planning, forward slash new dash enfield dash local dash plan.
MPs seek to reduce aviation emissions. The government should consider an actively reducing the demand for flying if its current policies on cutting aviation emissions are not working fast enough by 2025, say MPs. Ministers have resisted the idea of telling people they should fly less, preferring instead to rely on the development of low-carbon alternatives to kerosene. Those sustainable aviation fuels can include ammonia, synthetic fuels or biomass which is made from oils, fats and municipal waste or non-food crops. Experts have questioned the viability of simply switching fuels which scientists from the Royal Society calculate that replacing jet fuel with biomass would require half the UK's agricultural land. Aviation accounts for 8% of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions and this, like all other sectors, must fall in line with the government's net zero by 2050. The Government Audit Committee is concerned that the government's jet zero strategy is simply not doing enough to stem rising aviation emissions. MPs want the government to include these in its carbon budget assessments. EAC members Jerome Mayhew and for, uh, MP for Broadland and Fakenham said the government is yet to include aviation emissions in its carbon budgets. A government spokesman said our jet zero strategy sets out an ambitious approach to achieving net zero by 2050, allowing people to keep flying in a way which is much better for the environment. And now we have an item about a fire in a flat in Tottenham. A man was taken to hospital after firefighters rescued him from a kitchen blaze. Three fire engines and around 15 firefighters were called to Talbot Close in Tottenham last month. Crews found a small fire in the kitchen of a ground floor flat and rescued a man who was taken to hospital. It is believed to have been accidental and caused by cooking. A London Fire Brigade spokesperson said fires are more likely to start in the kitchen than any other room in the home. This incident is a timely reminder to make sure you never leave cooking unattended. If you do have to leave the room, turn off the heat. Crews from Tottenham and Stoke Newington fire stations attended the scene. Maternity services at North Mid rated inadequate. <clears throat> Care Quality Commission inspectors who visited the Edmonton Hospital say they were deeply concerned by what they found at the maternity unit. <clears throat> the boss of North Mid has vowed to make improvements after the rating for the hospital's maternity services was downgraded by the Care Quality Commission, CQC. Following an inspection last May, inspectors have written a report that rates the maternity unit at North Middlesex University Hospital as inadequate after previously being rated good. Saying they were deeply concerned by what they found, some of the issues raised by the inspectors included poor leadership, a higher than average rate of stillbirths, lack of record keeping, and equipment not being properly maintained. The, the CQC inspectors also reported that they'd received feedback from staff who told them they felt bullied and intimidated and undermined by leaders. In response to the CQC report, Dr. Nenna Osuji, Chief Executive of North Middlesex Hospital Trust, said they had made significant improvements in all these areas in the six months since the inspection took place, as well as maternity services dropping from good to inadequate overall. The CQC has also dropped the ratings for being well-led, for being safe and being in... Sorry, I'll, I'll read it again. As well as maternity services dropping from good to inadequate overall... The CQC has also dropped the ratings for being well-led and for being safe to inadequate as well. Last year's inspection didn't rate how effective, caring or responsive the service was. The overall rating for the hospital as a whole remains 
in the requires improvement category. Carolyn Jenkinson, CQC's Deputy Director of Secondary and Specialist Healthcare, said, when we inspected maternity services at North Middlesex University Hospital, we were deeply concerned to find both staff and women and people using the service be let down by poor leadership. Leaders lacked oversight of the issues we found and we saw signs that a closed culture could be developing within the service, discouraging staff from speaking up to improve people's care. For example, there was a process in place to assess people's risks during triage. However, staff were not using it, meaning they didn't always prioritise the people who needed the most care urgently. While many staff were committed to improving the service, we found leaders didn't always support them to do so. Staff told us leaders didn't always take action when they reported incidents, and some midwifery staff told us they felt bullied and intimidated and undermined. Women and people using the service also told us of, for, of poor experiences, but we found leaders were not always using people's feedback to drive improvements. The trust needs to take immediate action to ensure leaders are listening to their staff and the people using the service drive it to improvement. Since the CQC inspection six months ago, North Mid says it has reviewed and revamped its clinical assessment pathway for triaging patients, improved training for staff, and also increased staffing levels, recently appointing 20 new midwives. Dr. Osuji said the report reflects many of the national challenges that are facing maternity providers all over the country, and added... I, am, I continue to be a proud member of the North Middlesex Midwifery Service and I'm confident that the improvements we have made in the past year will continue as part of our forward-looking focus and I hope that local families will be assured. In the CQC report, the service stillbirth rate in February 2023 was said to be 6.82% per 1,000 births. Above the national average of 4.8 and significantly increased from North Mid's 2020 reported rate of 3.71. According to this data, Dr. Suji added, any and every stillbirth is a tragedy. We strive to continuously reduce and mitigate any outcome of that nature. Based on the most recent data, our stillbirth rate is in keeping with maternity units of a similar size and population demographics. Like all maternity services, we are working hard to reduce the stillbirths and to address this and other inequalities that unfairly impact our local community. Nurse Professor Lenny Byrne added, Our local community has every right to expect that their local maternity service is going to keep them and their baby safe and we are determined to live up to that expectation. And now a comments piece. Um, I want our street bins back. This is from Conservative councillor Ruby Sampson, who despairs at the removal of street bins in the Cockfosters ward. She writes, In 2022, I was honoured to be elected for the first time as one of the councillors for Cockfosters ward. I'm proud to be the youngest councillor in Enfield. When I was elected, the average age of a councillor in the UK across all political parties was 60. We need to see more young people, particularly women, in politics. It may seem like a departure from the traditional activities of your 20s, but young people can be proficient in their council work, still excel in a career and, of course, party by night. We can also provide a different perspective on local issues. 70% of people living in Enfield are under the age of 45, with the average resident being 32 years old. Young people face distinctly different problems, and we will only see these issues reflected more acutely when the makeup of the council changes. 
Councillors make long-term decisions for the future generations of the borough, so it is only right we ensure our voices are represented. But little did I think when I became a councillor that street bins would be such a contentious issue. The street rubbish bins in Cockfosters are disappearing. No, they haven't sprouted legs and walked away, although that would be perhaps a less astounding explanation of their disappearance. Myself and my Conservative ward colleague, Alessandro Giorgio, have been consistently lobbying for the return of these street bins to Cockfosters. We're always faced with the illogical argument from the council that if a bin is being too much, sorry, if a bin is being used too much or not enough, we will remove it. So, instead of residents being able to dispose of their rubbish, they are forced to play hide-and-seek with their bins to see whether they are there that day or not. In meetings I've had with officers, they claim that their policy of removing bins reduces fly-tipping. But in Cockfosters, we have repeatedly seen the very opposite. Fly-tipping is now occurring in the exact spot where a bin used to be. The bolts that used to secure the bin to the pavement are now the only remaining evidence of its previous presence. I know that the council removing bins and not returning them has been occurring across the west of Enfield. Residents quite rightly find this policy maddening. The council should have more important things to do than removing street furniture in Cockfosters. And Ruby Sampson says, You won't find many young people passionate about bins, but I am. I find this policy deeply frustrating, and I echo the numerous emails from my residents saying, Bring back our bins! A fraudster ripped off old and frail and is about to return 222 of his victims with £1 million. Paul Seacon, 62, from Whitewebs Road in Enfield, was jailed in 2021 for 13 years for fraudulent trading and converting criminal property. He was part of a criminal enterprise that used pressure sales tactics and cold calls to convince victims to purchase worthless carbon credits and inflated markups. These included elderly victims, some of whom were forced to remortgage or sell their homes due to the scam. The worthless investments were sold through Invino Associates, of which Seekins was a company director. Now 222 of Seekins' victims around the UK have been given a share of over £1 million that prosecutors from the Crown Prosecution Service helped recover. This came after he was warned that if he did not pay the money back within three months, a further seven years would be added to his sentence. Around 28 of his victims died before receiving their share, so their next of kin have been paid instead. The largest amount paid to a victim was £38,482, with the average compensation payout being 4670 Paul Sharagnu from the Crown Prosecution Service said Paul Seekins did untold damage to the lives of his victims, some of whom were old and very frail. We had made sure that he has paid his £1 million order in full following the sale of his pensions, a Rolex watch, along with money in his bank account from one of his fraudulent businesses, which has now been distributed to his victims. He will continue to be monitored in case any new assets can be identified that would allow us to apply to the court to increase the value of his confiscation order. And here we have an article regarding home office visa rules. An Enfield mother fears her husband could be deported if the proposed changes to UK visa rules by the home office go ahead. Paige Balmy's husband, Tom, came to the UK in 2018 as a spouse from Albania and the couple who have a two-year-old daughter together are due to apply this spring for their final visa providing indefinite leave to remain. But last month the Home Office announced the introduction of new rules which suggest Paige and Tom will no longer meet the income thresholds allowing him to remain. 
Page told the dispatch. A new proposed rules will mean the goalposts have been moved and we will no longer meet the requirements of living in the UK. It will mean that all the stress we have already endured will have been for nothing. We now have a two-year-old daughter and if these rules are to be set in stone, we have four months to earn the required £38,700 minimum income or my husband will have to leave me and my daughter behind. Tom works as a builder currently, but his income fluctuates and would be unlikely to meet the new higher threshold, which the Home Office is proposing in place of the current position of £26,500. Paige hasn't returned to work since their daughter was born. She said it will push me into the welfare state as I have no job, no childcare, no support. He, Tom, is my only support. He's been in the UK for so long and built his home here, he has nowhere else to go. He has worked so hard but has become a government scapegoat just because of where he happened to be born. We are not the only family that will suffer under these new proposed rules, but it's not fair. Paige and Tom were separated not long after they became engaged when the Home Office ruled in 2017 that their combined earnings did not meet the existing threshold a decision that was later overturned by a court appeal. Page added, I haven't slept all night worrying and my PTSD, which was already caused by the Home Office, is now rife. I'm finding it hard to function at the thought of my family being split up again. I'm disgusted, disappointed and I just don't know what to do. These rules already tried to kill me once. I'm not sure we have the strength to do it again. The Home Office's press release announcing the change states that from spring, the government will increase the earning threshold for overseas workers by nearly 50% from its current position of £26,200 to £38,700. Encouraging businesses to look to British talent first and invest in their workforce, helping us to deter employers from over-relying on migration while bringing salaries in line with the average full-time salary for these types of jobs. The government will also increase the minimum income required for British citizens and those settled in the UK who want their family members to join them. Home Secretary James Cleverly said... It is clear that net migration remains far too high. By leaving the European Union, we gain control over who can come to the UK. But, excuse me, but far more must be done to bring those numbers down so British workers are not undercut and our public services put under less strain. My plan will deliver the biggest ever reduction in net migration and will mean around 300,000 people who came to the UK last year would not have been able to do so. I am taking decisive action to halt the drastic rise in our work visa routes and crack down on those who seek to take advantage of our hospitality. More than 100 families continue to live in tower blocks on an Edmonton estate over a year after they were found to be structurally unsound with several residents telling the dispatch that they feel unsafe living there. Enfield Council has been urged to speed up the evacuation of residents from Cheshire House and Shropshire House on the Shire's estate, which both had their gas supplies cut last winter after they were found at risk of collapse in the event of an explosion. The news even made national headlines in December 2022 when Cheshire House residents were forced to shower in outdoor cubicles during freezing weather as the council scrambled to install an alternative hot water system. Three quarters of residents living in the two tower blocks voted to leave last March, but as of November... 132 out of the 204 flats in total remained occupied. The council says 95 offers of alternative accommodation have now been accepted. Speaking to the dispatch, residents voiced their frustrations with the length of time it was taking for the council to arrange new accommodation, the conditions of the blocks 
and the inflated cost of heating their homes using electric heaters. Abdullahi, who lives in Cheshire House, said living there was scary, while a resident of Shropshire House said they told us it was unsafe, but we are still living here. When the dispatch visited, signs were visible inside both towers, which warned residents that gas canisters may not be used or kept in the building. A survey of Shropshire House compared, sorry, a survey of Shropshire House prepared by a consultancy firm in May 2022, which has been seen by the dispatch, concluded the reassessment of the blocks have shown that even with the piped gas supply stripped from the building, they remain insufficiently robust and to resist disproportionate collapse. Residents of a Bristol Tower block were evacuated immediately when the building was found to be structurally unsound. The opposition conservative group's housing spokesperson questioned why similarly swift action wasn't taken at the shires. Lee Chamberlain said, It can't be allowed to drag on. These blocks are ultimately unsafe. In the Structural Integrity Report, the buildings fail on almost every count. It makes for horrific reading. The risk is small, but it is a risk. The councillor says to the Bristol issue is not comparable. Several Shire's estate residents have complained that the cost of heating their flats has doubled since the gas was switched off last winter, but the council had not given them enough to cover it. Councillor Chamberlain submitted an urgent motion on the Shire's estate at November's full council meeting, but it was rejected for another debate. He pointed out that the Labour administration's original intention was to connect the towers to its district heating and network energetic rather than decommission them. We had to drag them kicking and screaming to the position we are at now. They have had their head in the sand over this. However, the regulator of social housing ruled that the council's actions over the Shire's estate did not demonstrate a wider failure to meet our standards. The council is now offering tenants in the two blocks alternative properties and buying back leasehold flats. At the nearby Meridian Water redevelopment, the first residents moved in last September, but one Shropshire house tenant said she'd been forced to reject an offer of housing there because it would raise her rent from £104 per week to £185 per week. The latest statistics show the council has met only 75% of its three-year housing target. Councillor Chamberlain added, the council is now struggling to rehome people because it has failed year on year to develop the housing that we need. A council spokesperson said, Enfield Council has been working hard to decant the blocks as soon as possible by matching tenants with new homes that meet their needs. So far, 104 offers have been made and we will continue to support residents who remain. We have been offering considerable financial support to cover bills, which last month was £445.30 payment per household. In addition, rehousing teams are on site to offer advice. We have always prioritised the safety of residents. The Structural Integrity Report in May last year was immediately discussed with the gas supplier and an agreed route to replace the heating system was agreed. However, a gas leak was discovered in November 2022, which prompted the disconnection of Cheshire House. This changed the council's plans. The Shire blocks differ from the tower in Bristol and are not compatible. Regarding Councillor Chamberlain's motion, the spokesperson said it was rejected by the mayor of Enfield because it wasn't submitted by the deadline and the issue has been discussed at three prior meetings. Edmonton MP Kate Osamore urged the council to move faster on the evacuation and said Shire Estate residents shouldn't have faced another Christmas in housing which is neither suitable nor safe. 
and a couple of articles on sport before we end. Borough let two-goal lead slip as leaders snatch a point. Andy Hodges' first game in charge of Enfield Borough saw them share the Thurlow Nun League Premier Division points with table-topping Clacton Community at the Maurice Reback Stadium. But it was a case of what might have been with Enfield leaving, sorry, with Enfield having held a two-gold lead in the 75-minute mark. Enfield started brightly and Jacob Melford forced Jack Francis to push his shot around the post with Luke Bailey's near post header clawed back into play before Wilberforce Sokran made sure by driving it back into the net. After the eighth minute opener, the match was played at a slow tempo, although Enfield dominated in terms of chances created. Francis saved his side again when he parried Kyle Matthews' shot, while Ockran managed to round the keeper but wasted the opportunity. The centre forward then narrowly failed to connect with Norm Abaza's driven cross, and it was 35 minutes before Clapton created a meaningful chance as Harry Cook saved well from Lewis. Aurier's drive and then tipped a cross shot by Bailey Price over his bar. Clapton started the second half with a change of approach, which saw a notable improvement in their performance. Terry Omafo shot narrowly over the bar, while Cook parried a drive from Fionn Clancy, but the visitors got the ball in the net when Sherwin Stanley glanced his header beyond Cook only to see the assistant referee raise his flag for offside. Enfield doubled their lead soon after when Alex Awibimpe picked up a loose ball in midfield, advanced without challenge and drove the ball past Francis from 20 yards. Ockren spurned a great opportunity to increase the advantage, but while Clapton mounted significant pressure, Borough were holding firm. Then on 75 minutes, a long throw into the penalty box was smashed home by substitute Taylor Gould, and the pressure intensified, with Enfield holding on until four minutes into added time. Having lost possession in the opposition half, they saw Joel Okuwidike race clear down the right, clip the ball beyond the advancing cook to equalise. Borough are at home again on Saturday when they entertain Southend Manor at 3pm. Enfield began the new year with a 3-2 defeat in Isthmian North rivals New um, Salamis on Monday. Having seen home games against Walthamstow and Redbridge postponed, they saw Ronnie Bates and Harry Norman find the net in defeat. And following on from that, here is a... Um, a lowdown on the verdict of the season so far for Enfield Town from their boss, Gavin McPherson. Enfield Town move into the second half of the season in optimistic mood, having exceeded expectations since their new management team arrived in the summer. When Gavin McPherson and his coaching staff took over following Town's disappointment ninth place finish last year, a reset was very much on the cards. And it was widely anticipated that it might take two campaigns for Town to get back to challenging from, for promotion as Gavin team rebuilt the squad. Instead, for much of last six months, the Towners have found themselves in or around the playoff places, despite having lost ace striker Jake Cass, two games into the campaign with a career-threatening injury. Obviously, there have been some ups and downs, said Gavin, um, as he told the dispatch that he assessed the first half of the season. Losing Jake was a huge blow for us because we'd built a lot of what we wanted to do around him. It would have jolted a different group of players, but we found a way. Going out of the FA Cup when we were the game short of playing Charlton, as it turned out, was another big disappointment. But from a league perspective, we've got to be really, really pleased, not only because of our position and results. The dressing room is a very close-knit unit which makes for a really good foundation ahead of the second half of the season. It's no secret that the club was focused on more likely being in the playoff mix next season rather than this one. But the manager is not surprised at being third in the table by Christmas. I like to go about my business very quietly and not make stupid predictions, said Gavin. But we looked at it and thought, well, why not this season? If at the start we'd known we'd be in contention in December, I think everyone would have taken that. Is it above expectations? Maybe, but I believe in what we do and in the players. We're there on merit. It's no fluke. 
And now we have something a little lighter, some listings of events taking place in our area. If you didn't manage to get to the Panto this festive season, then why not get along to see TEO Theatre presenting Snow White? Brighten up your January with a trip to TEO's Family Pantomime, a lavish production packed full of music, magic, laughter and fun for the whole family. It's running from Thursday the 11th until Sunday the 14th of January at Waterhouse Hall, 77 Compton Road, Winchmore Hill, N21 3NU. Tickets are £12 for adults, £7 for children and you can book online visiting teo-theatre.org.uk forward slash book. And also Chicken Shed, their show The Toymaker's Child, which I did see and can thoroughly recommend, is still running until Saturday the 13th of January at Chicken Shed's Theatre on Chase Side, Southgate N14. Tickets are from £10, and if you visit their site, you can book tickets there at chickenshed.org.uk. We have coming up the Forty Hall Orchard Wassail on Sunday, the 28th of January, from 1:30 pm at Forty Hall Farm, Enfield, EN29HA. Join us in the orchard for our annual wassail ceremony. Bring along drums, tambourines, anything that makes a noise to awaken the trees. It's free entry and if you want more information you can email fh for 40 hall fhforchard at gmail.com. Next we have the Mum Sing Choir who meet on Mondays 10am to 11.30am at St Stephen's Church Hall, Park Avenue, Enfield and on Mondays 7.30pm to 9pm at Enfield Baptist Church, Cecil Road, EN2. At Mum Sing you'll be singing some great songs, anything from your favourite musicals, gospel, 80s ballads, 90s R&B and obviously Disney. I'm sorry, but if you don't like Disney, you just can't join in. There's a free taster session and then it's £17 per month. Visit mumsing.vocallysound.co.uk And finally, Refashion and Reuse Social, Tuesdays 7 to 9pm at Stitch Craft and Classes in Hazelwood Lane, Palmer's Green. Join Liz for an evening of sewing where we encourage you to focus on altering and mending second-hand or worn clothes to create something that could become a favourite once again. Turn some old jeans into a fabulous bag, add some embroidery detail to a boring sweatshirt, restyle a frumpy skirt to make it your own. £8 entry and you can call 07903 614 726 or visit stitch.org.uk. And continuing with the arts and culture, here's an article celebrating 50 years of Chicken Shed. Chicken Shed's successfully... Well, it's just been mentioned, Chicken Shed's uh, successful toy maker's child comes to an end on the 13th of January, but the Chicken Shed story itself began in 1974 when musician and composer Joe Collins met teacher and director Mary Ward. They both shared the belief that everyone should have the opportunity to perform and create, leading them to establish a theatre company. Initially operating out of local church halls, the pair approached Lady Elizabeth Bing, a local benefactor and landowner, to inquire if there might be a vacant space on the land that the company could use as its base. History was then made when she generously offered them the use of a disused chicken shed in Barnet. Well, for five decades, we have produced bold and beautiful work from our limitless belief in each other. Through our productions and our performance training and our educational courses, Our outreach projects have created wonder out of chaos and change out of challenge. Thanks to the National Lottery Heritage Fund project called Echoes, this 
Fund has helped to keep alive the stories and of those who have contributed to the chicken sheds past and present and will preserve chicken sheds heritage for future generations. So coming up, a five-decade focused community project will explore different aspects of chicken shed history with events and exhibitions throughout the year, culminating in a film documenting the 50-year history and heritage of chicken shed. Each decade focuses on unique themes. From the 1970s, letter-writing exchange between our original chicken shed members and young people involved in chicken shed today, to the 1980s, celebration of Enfield as the home and long-term supporter of Chicken Shed. The 1990s highlights our inclusive education program, and the fourth decade invites the community to vote for next year's Chicken Shed Christmas show. The fifth decade explores Chicken Shed's theatrical methods based on participants' own lived experience. And we hope you will join us on this incredible journey. And that was uh, comment, those comments came from Susan Jameson from the Chicken Shed. To find out more about Chicken Shed's 50th anniversary year, visit chickenshed.org.uk forward slash 50. Well, we have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Roz, Denise, Angela, Catherine and Dem on the controls, it's bye! Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our, to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying, Play Podcast, Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with the Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899854582. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be, be will be back with you again in one week's time.